0: How about you, friends? Are there monsters under your bed? Sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up our series today. It's called Monsters Under the Bed. We're talking about anxiety and worry and fear and what it would take for us to have peace Today we're going to read a story that Jesus told. This is a parable from Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, and it's kind of on the long side, so let me invite you, don't get anxious about where the story's going, just let it wash over you. It's a familiar story to some of us. This is the story of the prodigal son. And so if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it to Luke chapter 15, or you can use the Bible in the pew rack right there in front of you. And you can also follow along on the screen as I read. Uh, I want you to keep in mind as you're listening This is a story that Jesus told to some religious leaders, to to the religious people of his community, uh, because Jesus understood that sometimes religious people forget about what God's grace really looks like and how it really works and who it's really for. So listen to this story that Jesus told, Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked him what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Birmingham, Alabama, September 28th, 1962. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was giving the closing speech at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So imagine an auditorium packed with 300 people, 300 religious and civil rights leaders from all over the South who had come to organize and to participate in boycotts and in rallies and in protests. Everyone had on their Sunday best a dark suit and a white dress shirt and a necktie. Except for one man. He was sitting in the sixth row, and he was wearing a plain white T-shirt. His name was Roy James. Roy James, Dr. King did not know, and no one else apparently knew, that he was a member of the American Nazi Party. And he became angrier and angrier as Dr. King's speech went on. So angry, in fact, that at some point he jumped out of his seat and went up onto the stage and punched Dr. King right in the face. And then he punched him again and again, so much that Dr. King fell back and the audience screamed and a few people rushed the stage. But just then King got back up onto his feet and James cocked his fist for one more punch and Dr. King put his hands down and he looked the man right in the eyes. And the mob wanted to destroy this man for hurting their leader. But Dr. King said, no, don't stop. Don't, don't hurt him. He said, we have to pray for him. And so they prayed for Roy James. And Dr. King likely saved that man's life on that day. Can you imagine the kind of faith it would take to love your enemy? Can you imagine the kind of faith that it would take to pray for those who persecute you? Can you imagine the kind of faith that it would take in the moment when you most want to do violence against someone who has hurt you and instead you would offer forgiveness? Dr. Martin Luther King said, As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways I could respond, either with bitterness or to transform that suffering into a creative force. I have believed that unearned suffering really is redemptive. Now there are some who still find the cross to be a stumbling block, but I am more convinced than ever that it is the power of God for our salvation. On Monday this past week, as Americans, we remembered Martin Luther King as the greatest prophet of the 20th century, and we think of Dr. King as the civil rights leader, right, because he was, Um, but also I want to call to mind today, friends, the reality that Martin Luther King was an advocate for the peace of Christ, that he was a preacher and a proclaimer of the peace of Christ that God wants to offer to the whole world, and that Christians, more than anyone else, should be heroes for. In this world, friends, we need to do the hard work of peacemaking. Welcome to the last installment of our series, Monsters Under the Bed. We're talking about anxiety and worry and fear and what it takes to have peace. And so, in the first installment of this series, we talked about how God's love has the power to drive out fear out of our lives. And then last time, we talked about anxiety and this invitation from the Scripture to cast all our anxiety, all our worry, onto God's broad and loving shoulders. And today, I want to talk with you about forgiveness. I want to talk with you about forgiveness because forgiveness is a pathway to peace. Now, Martin Luther King had lots of people that he had the opportunity to forgive, didn't he? Now, How about you? How about you? who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a long list. <laughs> Maybe it's a short list. But I bet if you think long enough, if you give it a moment this morning, somebody will come to mind for you who you need to forgive. What I want you to understand today, brothers and sisters, is that our reconciliation is related to our peace. And our lack of reconciliation with God and with people is related to our lack of peace. If you want to know why that you feel restless right in here, it may be because there's someone who you need to forgive. I wonder if you've ever had a conflict with someone and you you've felt the conflict in your body and in your soul. And so when you saw that person across the room, your heart started to beat a little faster and you start to breathe a little in a more shallow way. Or maybe you just drive by their house and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I hate that guy so much. And you just the tension is in your shoulders and in, and in your back. Or maybe you just have to think of him and, and you call their face to mind and you feel it in your body and in your soul. There is this unease that comes in us when we have a lack of reconciliation with people in our lives. And so here's what I want you to understand, friends. It's not just a matter of feeling bad, because yes, it does make us feel bad, but the consequences of unforgiveness are way, way worse than that. Unforgiveness has the power to destroy our lives. When we refuse to accept the forgiveness of God by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are lost. That's what the word the Bible uses. We are lost. And when we refuse to offer that same forgiveness to other people, we are miserable and we are angry and we are filled with resentment and there is poverty in our soul. Friends, divine forgiveness has power. There is power in In it. And this is the way that God has chosen to save the world. And we might speculate that there maybe there was a thousand other ways that God could have chosen to save the world. But the way that God has chosen is by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ to offer forgiveness to anyone and everyone who would receive it. And you see, God's plan for saving the rest of the world now is to take His church and to send us out into the world to say that same good news so that everyone would believe it and would come into a saving relationship with God through the grace of Jesus Christ. So you see that same power that God uses to save your soul is the same power that God can use to save your relationships. Did you know that? God's not only interested in the vertical dimension of faith, but also the horizontal dimension. Yes, we have a relationship with God. We are also called to healthy relationships with each other. So think about any conflict right now that comes to mind, right? Like, think about Israel and Palestine. Think about Democrats and Republicans. Think about Yankees, Red Sox, right? All the hard-hitting conflicts. Uh, Batman and the Joker, anyone? As long as one party is intent on retribution to the other party, the conflict will continue. But the moment that even one party out of the two offers forgiveness, now peace is possible. Now peace is possible. And the same is true in your life and the same is true in my life. All of us have conflict with people. That's nothing new. We knew that already. That's part of what it means to be human, right? Is we have conflict with other people. So the question is not whether, but when and how. How will we respond? How will we manage the conflict that we live with in our lives? So we read the story of the prodigal son. Do you know this story? How many of you have heard that story before? Several, some of us, maybe not. So this is the story of a man with two sons and the younger son comes to his dad and says, hey dad, you know, um, I'd like you to go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance, which in that culture and in that day is kind of like saying, dad, I wish you were dead. You know, it's really not a very nice thing a very polite or appropriate thing, but he did it. And in his mercy, dad says, okay, here you go. I was going to give this to you later. I've been saving this up, working hard for it my whole life, but it's yours. I intend for you to have it. And so the son takes it. Yes. And he goes away from home and man, he lives it up. He spends all of it really fast on things like alcohol and women and gambling. And it's great, right? It's great and, until it's not great, uh, which happens pretty fast. And uh, he realizes he's broke and he's hungry, and he's miserable, and he's feeding the pigs, and he says to himself, man, that sure looks good. I, I'm so hungry, I would like to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And in that moment, he, he comes to himself. You ever had those moments in your life where you just you sort of wake up and realize, oh man, this is not good. So he hatches a plan. He says, you know what, I'll go home. And um, You know, I surely don't deserve to be called a son anymore, but maybe my dad would at least hire me back on as one of the servants because, you know, even the servants on the family farm back home, they have it way better than I have it right at this minute. So he says, I'll go back home, I'll just fall on my face, and I'll cast myself on my father's mercy and hope maybe he would even just let me be a servant on the farm. And he goes back home, and before he even makes it all the way there, the father. Sees him and he runs to his son and he puts his arm around his son and he hugs him and he kisses him and he says, Yes, we're going to celebrate because my son is home and and they're celebrating and it's wonderful. And everyone uh, has grace for this young man except his older brother. His older brother is angry, his older brother is resentful. What do you mean you're going to forgive this guy? He doesn't get forgiveness, he deserves punishment. He wasted our family fortune. Look what he did. And you're going to celebrate? Give me a break. He doesn't deserve a party. He deserves to be punished. And so the father forgave his son, but the older brother did not. He is trapped in his unbelief forgiveness. So I want to examine this story for just a moment with you and look at three traps of unforgiveness, three traps that hold us captive in our anxiety and in our worry and in our resentment when we refuse to forgive. Okay, so trap number one is this. I don't have to forgive. Some of us tell ourselves, right? I don't have to forgive and why not? Ah, let me, let me give you my list of reasons why I don't have to forgive. I don't have to forgive because he doesn't deserve it. I don't have to forgive because she has not apologized to me yet. I don't have to forgive because uh, I'm really, really hurt. And I don't have to forgive because you know that would make me seem weak and I would lose the power in this relationship. Friends, here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to forgive. There's just no two ways about it. You must forgive. And I want to invite you to think with me about what God says back to us about all the reasons that we withhold our forgiveness. We say, God, they don't deserve it. And God says, you're right. They don't deserve it. Just like you didn't deserve it when I forgave you. Okay. Let me try the next one. Well, God, they never apologized to me. And God says the forgiveness that you need to offer is not based on the other's request for it. It is based on your need to give it. And we say, yes, but God, oh, I'm terribly hurt. And God says, yes, you are. And I love you through this. And what happened to you was not good or right or fair. But if you wait, God says, my dear child, if you wait until you are over it in order to offer forgiveness, you might never get around to it. You see, wouldn't it be great if we could have peace and then we would be sort of free to offer forgiveness? But that's not the way it works. You see, forgiveness comes and then peace comes after. Forgiveness comes and then healing comes after. How nice it would be if we could feel better before we had to offer the forgiveness, but I guarantee you're not going to feel better until the forgiveness comes from your lips. And we say, oh God, if I forgive, I'm going to seem weak. And God says, yeah, you sure might, but uh, as we know, there is my strength in your weakness. Think about Jesus offering forgiveness to the whole world. How did he do that? By being crucified. In his weakest moment, he has the power of God to offer salvation for the world. In our weakness, there is God's strength. Look at verse 20 in the story with me. So the son set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. You get it, friends? You get what the father did? He did not wait for the son to ask for forgiveness before he offered it. He did not wait for the son to confess his sin before he offered the possibility of reconciliation. The Bible says Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Okay, That means God did not wait for you to get your act together before he offered you the forgiveness of Jesus Christ by his cross and resurrection. Trap one is thinking that we do not have to forgive. Yes, we do. Trap number two. Trap number two has to deal with our words and how we talk with one another about these kinds of things. So just think for a moment, when someone says, I'm sorry, what do we usually say back in return? Okay, so I want you to say, I forgive you. That's exactly right. Micah Lee, for the win, home run. But what, you know what I hear more often than that? What do you hear people say when someone says, I'm sorry? it's okay, right? And then what we say, I mean, I say it sometimes and I'm like, oh, bad. That's not right. We say, oh, it's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. And you're, oh, you're thinking, oh, what's the big deal? What's wrong with it? It's okay, pastor. Uh, so here's the deal. It's not okay. It's not okay. Uh, what was done is not good or acceptable or right. And that's why there's an apology. <laughs> now it can be made right, it can be made okay by God's healing power, but it's, it's not okay. So, you know, it, when I say, Mom, I'm sorry I was disrespectful to you, she doesn't say, oh, that's okay, son, because it's not okay to disrespect your mom. And when a one spouse says to the other, I'm sorry I lied to you, you know, the other spouse doesn't say, oh, that's okay you lied, because it's not okay to lie to your spouse. And when my kids say, Dad, I'm sorry I turned off the Duke game while you were watching it, Now, that is never okay to turn off the Duke basketball game. (laughs) Look at verse 21 in the story. Then the son said to him, his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the young man, he's pouring out his heart to his dad. He's like, look, I'm wretched. I'm terrible. I blew it. I messed it up. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And can you imagine if the father responded, oh, it's okay. I know you like totally wasted the whole family inheritance and you gave us all a bad name, but, but it's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. And he didn't dismiss it, right? He didn't just blow it off. You know what the the way the father responds? He acknowledges the awfulness of what his son has done and he names the sin and then he names God's victory over it. Look at verse 22 the father says, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. You know, the one that we've been saving for a special occasion? This is the special occasion. We are going to eat and celebrate because the son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and is found. Okay, do you hear the honesty in what the father is saying? My son, you were dead You were dead. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your greed. You were dead in your selfishness. But hallelujah, you are alive again. Son, you were lost. You were on the path to destruction. You were on the path to eternal torment. And thanks be to God, you are found again. You are back home, safe and sound. By the way, notice in the way that Jesus tells the story in the Gospel of Luke. The Father's gratitude does not end where we might imagine it to end, with the story of death and new life. There's actually something that comes after that. The climax of the story comes after death and life. He says, you were dead, but now you are alive. You were lost, but now you're found. Do you know there's something worse than being dead? It's being lost. Friends, being dead is bad, sure, but being lost without the grace of Jesus Christ is far, far, far worse. And so the father celebrates because his son who was dead is alive, but more importantly, he was lost and now he's found. Trap number two, it's not okay, but God can make it okay by the grace of Jesus Christ. Trap number three, if I refuse to forgive, I can punish the person who hurt me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but some of us have believed this, right? We have believed this idea, whether we said it out loud or not. Somewhere deep down, we're like, mm, I'll get back at them. I just, I won't forgive them. I will never let them off the hook for this. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's not only spiteful, it's also just not true. Uh, here's the truth. When we refuse to forgive, we're actually punishing ourselves. There's something happens on the inside of us because unforgiveness is toxic to the soul. It will eat away at you from the inside, and it will turn you into a person who God does not want you to be. Refusing to forgive the person who hurt you is kind of like drinking poison and waiting for that person to die, right? Yeah. So this is the temptation of the older brother, and we're going to continue in the story starting with verse uh, 25. Now, the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked what's going on. Your brother's come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. And so the older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out from the party and began to plead with him. Please, you know, come into the party. But the, the uh, young man answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, did you notice what he called him? This son of yours. It's not even his brother, right? He's not even claiming him as my little brother. Your son, this is what he did. He, he came back after devouring all your property, and now you have killed the fatted calf for him. Are you kidding Now, who's miserable in this story? Who's being punished by the unforgiveness? The older brother, right? Where's everybody else? They're in the party. They're eating good food and drinking good wine, and they're celebrating because the son is back home again. It's the older brother standing outside the party who is miserable in his body and in his soul. And here is what he failed to remember on that day, that the love and the blessing which are being poured out For the younger son, are the same love and blessing that he himself has already received. You notice how sometimes we forget that we are forgiven? Look at verse 31. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. His whole life he has been the recipient of the grace and blessings of his father. Did he not sit at the family dinner table night after night and enjoy the good food? Did he not gather around the campfire day after day and hear the story of their family? Did he not enjoy all the blessings of that family day after day and year after year his entire life? He's the recipient of that same grace and forgiveness and yet in that moment, he forgot. He forgot that he had also been forgiven. And so I want you to use your imagination. This is how the story ends. The father has come out of the party and he's come to his older son and he's begging him, please, please come into the party. Please make this right. Please join me as we celebrate because your brother is home safe and sound. And there stands the older brother, his arms folded, scowl on his face, anger in his eyes. And now he has a choice to make. And that's where the story ends. It's sort of this wide open no ending to it there's a pregnant pause and what will happen next will the older brother cling to his resentment and refuse to forgive and stay outside of the party or or will he go into the party and will he offer to his little brother the same forgiveness which we which he has already received those are the two choices And the difference between those two choices is the difference between misery and peace. It's the difference between death and life. It's the difference between lost and found.